I was reminded that when we were supposed to come here in March and it was canceled because of the snow, we were just starting a new site in Belfast and Paul and I got to go to the launch of that. And whenever I was there, I, it just was a, quite an emotional time for me because I realized that where we were meeting was just three streets away from where my grandparents lived. And as part of the worship, we sang that old hymn, What Can Wash Away My Sin, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. And I suddenly thought, I know my grandfather will have stood on this road in a little church somewhere and have sung exactly this same hymn. And the thing was, he had been an alcoholic and he didn't come to Christ until later, you know, in his years. But I just thought, God, you changed his story. And because you changed his story, my story got changed. I get to stand on the same road, sing the same hymn, because Jesus changed his life. And that's why I get so excited when churches find ways to give expression to who they are in different locations. Because people are going to come to you. And they are going to find Jesus here. And their story is going to be changed. And because their story has changed, a whole family story, generations of that family story could be changed. And I find that so exciting. So that's why I am so glad to be here with you today. And, you know, we've been talking over the weekend. I grow. The, it was the conference and we were talking about, you know, building um, bigger people, how can we grow as Christians? And I thought I'd like to keep that same theme going today. I'd like to talk to you about still that idea of growth. But, you know, the New Testament has a wider approach to us growing. And I've called it flourish where you're planted. Because the New Testament is very strong in presenting us with the concept that we need each other to flourish. We need each other to grow. Yes, we have to pay attention to our own relationship with the Lord. We have to pay attention to, you know, developing and maturing individually as Christians. But the New Testament puts such an emphasis on that we need one another. It's full of one another's. Um, and it is so important that when God puts us together with a group of people and we become part of a, of a family and a community as a church, that that's where we're going to flourish. Actually, there's a verse in Psalm 92, which I love, and it says, they are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. And everybody from my generation and, be, and older say, Amen! Because we are ever full of sap and green. And we have still got the life of God flowing in us. And there's no redundancy in the kingdom of God. And so for those of us this, this afternoon who are older, let's take that on board. In fact, my friend just sitting on the end of the, of the row here in the check shirt, you, it is so obvious that you are full of sap and you're green <laughs> in the best possible sense. And I just really feel like the Lord wants to encourage you because the life of Jesus flowing in you um, not only feeds your own soul, but it actually feeds many others. And in fact, you know, I feel like the Lord is saying that as he asked Peter to be, to feed his sheep. And, you know, sometimes we 
define that quite narrowly. Maybe even, you know, someone who stands at the front and teaches. But there's so much more to feeding sheep than that. And I just think that there's a heart in you that wants to see others grow and develop. And so the, the, the life of God flowing in you is still flowing out to others. And I feel like almost in a fresh way in this season in your life, it's like the Lord said to Peter, will you feed my sheep? There's a lot of little lambs out there and they're a little bit lost and they need a good shepherd who they know is for them and not against them and who will gently lead them and guide them to the green pastures. And I just feel as if that life in you, that's what, it's, an, it's, it's almost like God is opening up a new season for you at this stage in your life and you're still full of slat sap and very green. We usually say green when somebody, you know, hasn't really got their wits about them, but I know you definitely have. <laughs> and so we want to flourish where we're planted. And I think that Paul talks about this a lot in the New Testament as he writes to the churches. He talks a lot about what he would love each community, each church family to look like. And when he wrote um, his letter to the Philippines, he really underlines that in chapter 2. And now I'm going to have to do a juggling match um, to get my Bible opened. But I want to read to you from Philippians 2, verses 1 to 11. And this is what we're going to look at today. So this is what it says in Philippians 2, verse 1. And we'll read through to verse 11. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... If any comfort from his love, if any common, common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So in this chapter, Paul's talking about what a church family should look like and that if we put in these principles into creating and um, we've already heard about it from Leon in creating the right atmosphere or another way to put it is creating the right culture within our church family then those who come here are going to grow and they're going to flourish and the wonderful thing is when you're part of a church you actually get to play your part in shaping that and making that happen. You know, it doesn't happen just automatically. We all get to 
make a contribution as to what the atmosphere and the culture of our church is going to look like. At home sometimes, people over the years have said to me, Priscilla, this church isn't loving enough. And my response is always, oh dear, what are you going to do about it? Because, you know, sometimes I think we think of churches as some sort of entity out here that is, exists on its own. And, you know, the church isn't loving enough. Well, I'm part of the church. If it's not loving enough, I have to take my responsibility. And I have to say, well, what can I do to change that and make that different? And so I think it's wonderful that we can not only have an influence and an input into that, but also to create, even as we finish today and, and ask the Holy Spirit to move, I just think it's, it's always interesting how, you know, when God puts something on a speaker's heart to talk about and then it flows through the worship and even as Leon led us, you know, that we also cre can create an atmosphere. Jesus is always going to be here. He promised to be here. He said where two or three are gathered together, I'm going to be in their midst. But, you know, we can create an atmosphere where the Holy Spirit's free to move and free to touch people's lives. For those of you who were there last night, Glenn Barrett was talking, and he talked about the presence of God. And, you know, we want to build a community here. We want to build a place where people come through those doors and feel welcomed. They feel that they can become part of us. At the end of the day, the church isn't the same as joining the bowling club. It's not the same as going to the golf club or even the gym. Well, especially not going to the gym. I'm so glad it's not like that. Um, but, you know, I do know that I, I do reluctantly go to the gym. Um, the only reason I go is because I like to eat. Um, <clears throat> and when you're there, you realize that there's lots of people there, not because they want to exercise. They're actually looking for community. They're looking for something. So we get to offer community, but we get to offer more than community. We get to offer the presence of God. And it's when people connect with the presence of God that he begins to change our lives. And so you and I get to contribute to that. We can create an atmosphere and a culture where the Holy Spirit is welcome and where the Holy Spirit starts to touch our lives. And in this passage in particular, I think Paul is saying, and I want you to create a culture and an atmosphere that is actually countercultural, perhaps, to what people come up against in their everyday lives. Something that is different. And that when they come amongst, amongst you, that they can experience people who really have others' best interests at heart. We would call it a servant culture. And that's why the passage ends with just a hymn of praise to Jesus because that was what he modeled out for us, wasn't it? That he said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. And he's our king. He's our Lord. That's what he showed us. And so as followers of Jesus, we want to be people who create that servant culture in our community where people really do feel valued. In fact, in this passage, I suppose the crucial verse is verse 4, where Paul says, not looking, maybe I can put this down, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And that will help us grow. 
And that will help us develop as disciples of Jesus Christ. And then Paul goes on to sort of say, well, now, it's good to think about your motivation for doing this. Why, why would we be that sort of person? Why would we be the person who looks out for somebody else's interests and not our own? Well, Paul says, you were blessed to be a blessing. That's why you're going to do it. Because he, he asks four questions. In fact, I'll read them to you again. He says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common, common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then. And it's a bit like, you know, he doesn't really expect an answer. You know, because he, what he's thinking is, of course you've experienced all these things. It's a bit like as if he said, you know, if water's wet, if fire's hot, if rocks are hard, it's the equivalent of saying those kind of things. He said, of course you've experienced tenderness and compassion from the Lord. Of course you've experienced the comfort of his love. Of course you've experienced the joy of being united with Christ. Well, if that's the case, if God has blessed you, if he has poured out these blessings in your life, then the natural response of our heart says, Lord, you have blessed me. Now I want to be a blessing. I want to be a blessing to others. And what an amazing motivation. And even through the hard times, you know, the old hymn says, count your blessings. And so that even in the hard times, we can still find things that we can say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for how you've blessed my life. And because you've blessed my life, I am determined that I am going to live a life that will be a blessing to others. Pauline, um, I mistook another lady the other day for you, and we have had a bit of banter over the last couple of days. And I just, you know, and I've loved meeting you, and I just feel again that the Lord wants to bless you again today. And, and to say to you, you know, that you know the blessing of God in your life. You know that he has poured into you. You have experienced his comfort. You have experienced his love. You have experienced that presence, that closeness of the Holy Spirit in your life. And he has blessed you. But he sees in you that heart to take that blessing and not hold it to yourself. That you are so free in giving that away to others. And you know, whenever we freely love like that, it's almost like as if God increases um, what he gives to us. I feel like the Lord is saying to you, you know, I am increasing your store of seed. That he is increasing the seed that you get to give away to other people. Because the seed you give away to other people, which sometimes you can sometimes think of as being a very small thing. You plant it in the soil of their lives. God waters it by his Holy Spirit. And there is a harvest produced there. In fact, there is a harvest going to be produced in people's lives that you actually may not necessarily ever see. You know, you plant the seed, you don't always see what is produced in the long term as a result of that. But God says in eternity, you will find that you have a harvest reaped there because of seeds you've planted. And because you've been faithful with that, the Lord is promising you in this season, I'm going to increase your store of seed. You keep sowing, I'll keep watering, and the harvest will come. And so for all of us, we are called to be 
to recognize the blessing that God has poured into our lives and that we're called to be a blessing to others. And actually, it's very interesting. Another part of the motivation that Paul says, I want you to do this because you've been blessed. But I also, he says, I want you to make my joy complete. You see, Paul was like a father to them. If you read chapter one, you can get Paul's heart for them. He loved these people. He really cared for them. Even later on in this chapter, he talks about sending Timothy to them to look out for them and care for them. He loved them. Well, if you're parents here today, you know the best thing ever is when your kids are getting on. And it absolutely breaks your heart whenever they're fighting with each other. Now we've got grandchildren. It's the same thing. We had a family holiday in the summertime, and we have seven grandchildren, six girls, and one little boy. And Charlie, actually, he's the softest of them all. The girls are a wee bit hard. And, um, and Charlie's so soft, and he it lives in Cambridge, so he's quite posh. And every now and again, he'd run in, and he'd go, Granny. Those girls are being mean to me. <laughs> and you just want to go, oh, Charlie. <laughs> and you just hate it when your kids are not, or they're, when they're disagreeing. You know, that's why it's so important in church that we keep our relationships right. That we don't take offense easily. You know, that we don't, well, she walked past me. She never looked near me. She never said a word today. And, you know, sometimes the smallest things cause us to take offense. And God says, let's keep your relationships right. Because it thrills his heart that when his kids are getting on. But actually, part of our job in the community of God's people is to make the job of leadership easy too. You know, we thought, oh, well, they probably got a pretty easy job of it anyway. But that's not true. And Paul says, you will make my joy complete when, when you treat each other like getting on well with each other. You'll make my job easier. And that's, that's part of what we can contribute to the community, that we can aid those who are called to leadership to fulfill their calling in God. And of course, the challenge is for those who are called to leadership to keep servanthood at their heart as well. That, that that's what Jesus modeled out. And so as leaders in the body of Christ, that also has to be motivated by a heart that wants to serve. And so we make it easy for them when we are creating this kind of atmosphere in the community that we're part of. So hi, Paul goes on to outline for them very clearly how they can develop this servant culture. And he says the first thing is that you need to value the unity that you have. Don't take it for granted. Value it. Build on it. Encourage it. He says be like-minded. The same love, one in spirit, one in mind. It will produce a unity in the church. And that is such a powerful force. That's why Jesus prayed when he was with his disciples in the upper room. And he wasn't just praying for them. He said that, but he was praying for those yet to come. That was you and I. And he prays that we would be one as he and the Father are one. And why? So that the world would know that we're followers of Jesus. And so this unity is so important. And if we let disunity creep in to our church families, it's a terrible poison. I mean, Hebrews talks about it. Hebrews talks about letting a bitter root grow up amongst you. And that, that actually affects, it doesn't just affect you, it affects lots of other people as well. And it's 
God's saying, you know, what he's planted here, what he's growing here, God says, guard your heart. Guard your heart. Not just your individual heart. Guard your corporate heart as you relate to each other in a right way. Value the unity that God is creating here because it is so important. And, you know, just can I say, some people might think, oh, you know, one in mind, one in spirit, same love. You know, are we supposed to agree about everything? Like, is that even possible? I, I don't think that's what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about a heart attitude. Because, you see, it would be a very unhealthy church culture if we couldn't say, well, you know, I have a problem with that, or can I ask a question about that, or I'm not sure I agree with that. It, it's a healthy family atmosphere if we can talk about things, if we can discuss things. But as Christians, we so need to learn how to do this. It's, I would always say, disagree agreeably. It's okay, you know, to talk about your differences. That's healthy. But let's do it with a hard attitude of love, of wanting the best for the other person. And then we will still have that um, atmosphere of unity. And then Paul goes on to say, not only value the unity that you have, but he says, refuse pride and selfish ambition. Now, I'm looking out at you all, and I can't imagine that any of you are proud or selfishly ambitious. But, you know, pride can just foster a critical spirit. Um, it basically says, I can do it better than you. And Proverbs says that arrogance leads to nothing but strife. And so we want to just deal with pride in our lives and selfish ambition. You know, ambition is... You're using your God-given talents for something other than bringing glory to him. Actually, I loved what Abby said when you were talking about your song, Abby, and, and about it being on Songs of Praise. And you said, just pray that as it goes out, that it would bring glory to the Lord. And that is the right heart attitude that says, God, you have gifted me, and he has, Abby. You have given me an opportunity to express my gifts, and he has. But he knows that your heart is to bring glory to him. And when that is your heart, then God makes a way. And, and I just think that the Lord is saying, you know, ex expect great things from this because your heart attitude is to glorify him. And, and I think that we need to model th that kind of attitude out amongst ourselves too. Like, who gave us the talents and gifts that God put in us? So, you know, some of us are sitting thinking, oh, well, I wish you knew what mine were. But the truth is, if you are breathing, if you are living, if you are part of a church, God says that he brought you here for purpose and that he has gifted you and you have got something to bring and you have got something to offer. And so therefore, as we ask ourselves the question, who gave me the talent in the first place? Now, Lord, I don't want to use it to promote myself. I want to use it to bring glory to you. I want to use it to bring glory to you. See, there's a young guy, your hands on your mouth, and you've got a gray sweatshirt on. And God looks at you and he says, I gave that boy some gifts, and I gave him some talent. And, you know, I really believe that the certain season in your life, there will be people after you because of the gifts and talents that God has placed in you. But God says to you, 
I gave you the talents and I gave you the gifts and I have first called on them. And if you seek first my kingdom and his righteousness, all these things will be added to you. If there's ever even a little doubt in your mind, you know, if I go for you, God, 100%, you maybe I'll miss out on this or maybe I'll miss out on that. God promises you today, if you keep that to be your focus, I'm going to seek your kingdom first, then he says, you're not going to be the loser. You're not going to miss out on anything, but all these things will be added to you as you seek first. And when I say seek first his kingdom, I don't necessarily mean that just using your gifts and talents within a church context. I believe that the Lord will use your gifts and talents in a context that's out there in the world, but to show what a young man who's going after God looks like and how he lives his life for the glory of God. And there's so many of you younger people in the room today, and I feel that is, it's not just a word, and this is how the prophetic works. Sometimes it's for an individual, but sometimes it's for a whole group of people. And for those of you who are younger, I would say that the Lord is saying exactly the same thing to you. Seek first his kingdom. And all these things will be added to you. Again, I'm looking at another young man, young man in gray sweatshirts. It's your day. <laughs> um, as I look at you, immediately the disciple comes into my mind, Nathaniel. And when Nathaniel came to Jesus, when Jesus saw him coming, he said, there's, there's an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. There's a purity about your heart and spirit. And God loves that. There's a single-mindedness about you in terms of your following after Jesus. And I believe that the Lord is saying, as you run with me, you're going to call others from the sidelines. And you're going to say, come run. Come run. And God says, you're in this not for a sprint, for a but for a marathon. He's building strength into you. He's bring, building stamina into you. He's, he's, bring, he's bringing uh, a willingness to persevere into you and um, to, to climb over some of the hurdles, maybe even hurdles that you're currently facing, but hurdles that will come up. He's given a stamina to you to keep on going because you have a single-mindedness. And because of your single-mindedness, you will have the courage to call others to run as well. But the Lord says, this is for the whole of your life. It's not just a sprint. This is a marathon. And so many of you, as you're, you know, even like I was looking at your, the sound guy today. And again, you are so, you know, there's a creativity in you. And again, God sent you. I've got first call on your talents. And other people will come knocking on your door. And you be careful the things that you say yes to. Because God is re has got a path marked out for you. He hasn't shown me what it is, but he said to me very clearly, he's got, I've got a path marked out for that young guy. And other people are going to come knocking on his door. And some of those doors will not be helpful for you. And I, th I think that the Lord is saying to you too, to, to get a collective wisdom. As, as opportunities arise, go and talk to people who believe in you, who know you, who you trust, and who will give you wisdom as to what to say yes to and what to say no to. Because he wants you to, to be 
to keep on the track and the path where you will use those talents for his glory again. And, you know, Dan, I, I just think that what you're modeling out in terms, and I think it's, you know, often in our types of churches, because of the value we put on worship, because of the value we put on musicianship, that there are young people who are giving, like you are, giving your gifts and your talents to the Lord. And the Lord's going to honor that. Because even, you know, I saw your keyboard player and, and there was Aben and the rest of the guys and even over the weekend. And I feel like the Lord is going to honor you giving your gifts to the Lord because what he's going to do is you're, he's going to make a gatherer out of you. And you're going to call and, and you know, Life Center are going to find that more and more young people with amazing musical creative talents are going to be drawn to this place. And it's partly because you have sown something. You've, it's like your first fruit. You've sown something. And because you've sown something, then God will give you more and more. And I think that you'll start to see that happening. And so for... for I mean, all of us should be seeking first the kingdom of God. But I just say it to those of you who are younger, that if you keep that before you, God will honor that. And so it's, we're not seeking selfish ambition. We're seeking his glory first and foremost. And closely linked to that, um, I could talk for Ireland, as you can see. So <laughs> I have to... I have to Paul, and this is very closely linked to selfish ambition. Paul says, embrace humility. Embrace humility. And T.S. Eliot said this, humility is the most difficult of all virtues to achieve. Nothing dies harder than the desire to think well of oneself. And actually, when Paul was writing in that culture, the ancient Greeks saw humility as a fault not as a virtue. They, they didn't respect anybody who were humble. And so this was totally counter-cultural for Paul to say, you are to embrace humility. That way, you will consider others more important than yourself. That way, you will want to serve others. That way, you will want to promote others and see them flourish and grow and develop. That is the heart that will look out for others rather than our own interests. And I think it's still countercultural today. You know, I noticed last night on TV they were advertising that The Apprentice is coming back. And I mean, it's the classic, you know, example of our culture today saying, you know, sell yourself, push yourself, you know, step on top of other people to get where you want to go. And it's so funny, isn't it? Like they're all telling us how wonderful they are. And then you see what they do and they go, really? That's the best that British business can produce. We're in trouble. <laughs> um, but Paul's saying exactly the opposite. We have made self-esteem the foundation of a healthy human personality. We have put that on a pedestal and we almost worship at the altar of self-esteem. But as Christians, our worth and value comes from knowing that we are loved by God and that we have an eternal worth and value to him. And that's, we talked about that over there, that's when our roots go deep down into the love of God. That will bring a stability to us. That will bring a strength to us. And actually, when you know you have worth and value to God, who's the creator of the universe, you can start to forget about yourself. You don't have to be constantly worrying about what are people going to think of me? You know, does that person like me? Why, that person definitely doesn't like me. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff anymore because you know God loves you. 
And once you really, really know that, you can forget about yourself. And that's why it's so crucial to be able to be looking out for others' interests. Once you are secure, insecurity makes us totally self-obsessed. The only person we will think about when we're insecure is ourselves. And then once we get it, that God loves us, then we are released to be able to sow that same kind of worth and value into others. And you're sitting beside Pauline. And, uh, um, and you know, that, that is something that God is teaching you and showing you. He's showing you how immensely valuable you are to him. He is changing the mirror that you look at. Your, you have looked at yourself in a, in a certain mirror in a certain way. And I feel like God is saying, I'm smashing that mirror. And I'm putting a new mirror up in front of you. And when you look at yourself, you're going to see something that you haven't seen before. You're going to see a young woman who is passionately loved by God, passionately valued by God. And also that it's going to give you a confidence to just be yourself to be comfortable in your own skin and not to wish maybe, oh God, I wish I had a bit more of this or a bit less of that. He says, I want you to be so beautifully and your design speaks to your destiny. The things he's saying to you, what do you love to do? And find out what you love to do because that's part of your destiny in God. The stuff that you love to do, God says, I'm going to bless it. I'm going to come and I'm going to make opportunities for you. And that is going to be my, that's part of God's purpose for you. You sometimes worry, am I walking in God's will for my life? And God says, think about what you love because what you love will speak to your destiny. God loves you and he values you. And that's where I want to finish today. That maybe if, we, if you come and join me. I just want us to take a few moments before we close to let the Holy Spirit come again. And just remind us that all that we read about Jesus at the end of this passage, how he was God, and yet he didn't hold on to his rights. He laid down his life. He went to the cross and he did it for me, and he did it for you. And that's why God now, he humbled himself, and now God has exalted him. And as we have come into relationship with him, knowing that that is the extent of his love for us, and some of us know it up here, but we, don't really, we haven't really got it in here. And in these few moments, why don't you stand with me? In these few moments... Will you let the Holy Spirit come and move what you know in your head? Move it to your heart. Move it to your spirit. That you are a well-loved child. That God would, maybe in a new way, birth the truth of that in you. So that as a community of God's people, we know that we've nothing to prove because God loves us. And we have nothing to lose. And so we can, just, we can look out for the interests of others rather than just our own interests. So Holy Spirit, will you move across the room right now? Father, there's some Christians here who've been in relationship with you for many, many years. And they believe with all of their heads that you love them. they've never really felt it in the depths of their heart and their spirit. Would you come right now? 
you let them know as they come to the cross just how much you love them? Would you lift off that sense of worthlessness? Would you break off that insecurity? And would you bring the freedom of knowing that I belong to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Just come, rest upon us, Lord, as we turn our hearts to worship you.